Out From Work Podcast. My name's Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 163 of the show tonight. This is your host, Dave Swillam. This is where we get to work, making work a passion, living life full-time. If you are new to listen to the show, this is where we interview artists, entrepreneurs, creatives, and people living alternative lives, doing the things that they want to do instead of the things that we don't want to do. Uh, I haven't found a better, cooler way to say that since I've kind of reframed how I've been saying it. Uh, but uh, really pumped to have another interview here on the podcast tonight. I have been traveling like straight out and driving unreal hours. And so it is refreshing to sit down for a moment here, uh, be back home and have a guest on to talk to me instead of just hearing the same audiobooks and podcasts and music that I've been listening to for hours and hours and hours as much as I like it. So uh, I'd like to welcome on the podcast. This is Sierra Stockland now coming from Tennessee, Fire yes. coming from North Dakota, North Dakota fam. And uh, uh, she is a entrepreneur just as a basis, but uh, coming from a background of boutique retail and really a uh, leader in many ways in just small business community and coaching and in general, really. So we're going to get into a lot of different pieces of what Sierra has been up to and, and is up to right now. But I myself have some things that I, I really I'm pumped about getting into today that I think are valid to a lot of things that we've been saying throughout the podcast. So Sierra, thank you for being on the show tonight. And would you like to just run people who who don't know you and don't know what you're up to? Do you want to just bring people uh, through kind of like, where did you come from to where you're at now, just to set the stage a little bit between the two of us? Because they've heard me talk plenty about who I am uh, to know like what the conversation's like. And um, then we can totally just jam. Yeah, that sounds good. So um, like you mentioned, I am an entrepreneur, third generation entrepreneur. So born and raised in North Dakota, lived there forever. It was kind of more cool to say I was from North Dakota that I always got like, oh my goodness, you know, now I'm in Tennessee. But we just moved to the Nashville area um, a few months ago. We really love it. And we are just hanging out here. Um, My husband travels a lot and um, the kids are almost out of the house. And so it was a good time to transition down here to, to Tennessee, but third generation cool. entrepreneur on operating businesses since I was 13. So I've always been doing something creative and now I get to do coaching and consulting specifically with inventory based businesses. So anyone that is exchanging dollar bills for things, I can help you build more profitability and peace of mind into your business. And I love doing that. It's really fun to have the flexibility now after many years of brick and mortar and employees and, and all of that, now I can be more flexible and just really dig into helping people do the things that I loved doing for so many years. That's awesome. Yeah. What, so first of all, uh, before I move on from this, so I don't forget, you're saying third generation entrepreneur is in the past two generations of your family. Yes. Entrepreneurial background. Yeah. So my grandpa owned his own small business and my dad did as well. 
What were those, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so both of them were actually in windows. Um, My grandpa owned a residential window business, and then my dad worked for him for a while and then broke off um, and built the commercial window side. And so they both had, so they had inventory. It was nuts, bolts, steel, glass, you know, nothing cool we have in boutiques. But um, yeah, so they both own their own businesses. That's awesome. Yeah, I might, I totally want to ask you about that probably when we, when we get to into this a little bit too, because I think we, it's really interesting for me, like where, like I have certain questions I have at the end of the episode where I'll compile every hundred episodes, certain questions between all the guests on to see like this mix of, of what traits can we track basically of what types of people are on here? Cause we've got a good mix. And one thing that's, that's not part of those questions necessarily, but an interest to me is people who are coming from you said third generation entrepreneurial people coming from entrepreneurial backgrounds uh, of family and friends uh, versus people that don't have that background. And then yet the people who are on the show, they're both still here. They're both still doing the same types of things, but it's interesting for me to kind of hear what is it about the person themselves? And also yeah. what is it about our, our beliefs and things that we come from for what makes uh what makes it all happen? So yeah, for real. I love it. Yeah. Do you have any, I guess, before we go further, I'll just ask that right now. Like you work with so many people who have small businesses. You're coming from this background where you grew up uh, seeing uh, people in your family have this. What's your take meeting with people and consulting and working and coaching with people who have the small businesses yourself? So you're seeing above what they're doing. You've seen where you've come from and with your work what are your thoughts right now of like people coming from a background of uh, support or I guess just a belief system of seeing that entrepreneurship around and just knowing that possibility or not, I guess I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly, but yeah. So just kind of the mindset of the entrepreneur and meeting yeah, so many different ones yeah. coming from a background where you, you saw that, but also what you do is so substantially different than what those businesses were, you know? Yeah. I think it's just, um, having a creative spirit, having an imagination. Mm. So I would say like, if you have an imagination, if you can figure out what problems there are around you and how you could possibly solve those problems, that typically produces an entrepreneurial idea, right? So I've always been someone who looks at something and says like, I wish we could do that different or why don't they do it this way? Or what if we had this available in our community and then create some sort of... um idea around how to solve that problem. So most entrepreneurs have that type of mindset and creativity. I love it. What, what, uh, what did you feel the impacts were, I guess, of like, I saw here, like going through your website, your, uh, starting of this third street acting company, which sounds very interesting at 14. And then I, I think I saw something in there about selling rocks or something like that. I've yeah. told a story about how I flipped candy to get my first Xbox and you hear people with the lemonade stands and they start putting signs up and everything. I yeah. guess like, how did you start up kind of like that one venture? But like, then I, I see the transition points of, you know, you're talking about solving a problem uh, with the first business, this Mama Mia, which is centered towards the maternity uh, boutique, which I think is like, still, I, I would, uh, you're going to know more than me. I would say is still a huge problem and still a huge need in that market today for some reason is still not always being solved. And so it's, it's for you to have that insight 2006, that 
is that problem solving mentality. But I guess like how did these things start up where you have this first thing that you kind of do when you're 14 uh, and then you have this first thing that you do back in 2006? Where, where are these ideas coming from? Like, this is what I need to do and this is what I need to address. Yeah, I think just um, being willing to try something. So with the acting company, I was a homeschool kid and I was actually complaining to my mom because there weren't any drama opportunities for me. And she said, why don't you just do something on your own then? Like, (laughs) stop whining about it and fix it. And so I was like, okay, sounds good. You know, so invited some friends over, put on our first little production that led to more opportunity to bring more of our homeschool friends in until I had built this acting company that did full length productions at the local high school and then at the local community theater and then at the local beautiful antique theater in town. Um, And by the end we were serving homeschool, high school, public school, Christian school, private school kids all the way through college in producing full length productions. So it's just seeing a problem, figuring out how to fix it and then observing and staying curious within what you're doing to how you can grow to the next level, right? Like, Oh, this is working. Well, what if we did this? That's working or that's not working. How can we stay curious? Um, I think that's really important and listening to your customer. So the same thing with the maternity store. I wanted to have a retail store, but I knew that I needed to be competitive. So what kind of retail store could I have that would make me different than every other retail store Mm. in town? Um, And the maternity was a good fit. And so doing that, but then within that tweaking, okay, that's not going to work very well. If I just sell maternity, what if I sell baby? What if I sell toddler? What if I can keep these maternity moms after they have their baby coming back and shopping with me? So it's remaining curious as you you develop your concept too. Right. Uh, So basically the first thing with that uh, Third Street Acting Co, that starts directly because your mom's like, if you have a problem and you don't have the solution, make the solution. So you're like, okay, I'm literally going to make the solution. Here's a solution. That kind of, I would imagine it sounds like it was a shift or part of a shift of like, oh yeah, if there's a problem, I can solve the problem. And then in 2006, that's just like good business of like, here's a problem that I've identified. Also, I'm going to look at this market and this is something that just makes me more attractive because I'm this specific thing. And then you're seeing other problems when you're in it. This is something that I talk about all the time is like make something a problem because then you'll find the rest of it. It's like you open that business that's towards that. And then you're like, oh, I don't want to just get this one-time customer for just this maternity things. I can do this, this, and this, and this will make it so that the customers stay with me longer and engage with me. And that's probably leading into uh, all these different uh, perspective points that you got specifically in the retail space of just finding, being in a situation to find the problems, but you can't really find those problems unless you're, you're in it. It just makes more sense when you're facing something. Yeah. I think a lot of times entrepreneurs are so scared of failing that they never reach any type of potential at all. They miss out on so many opportunities because, well, what if I do it and it doesn't work? Well, what if you do it and it doesn't work, but through that process, you figure out what does work or what Mm. does work better, you know, cause we always hear like, well, what if you don't do it or what if you don't do it? And what if you do do it and it does work, but we never think about like, what if it does fail? but I learned something through that or it brings Mm. me to another solution that's even better. And so if we're not failing, we're just not doing like part of being an entrepreneur is falling down a million and one times, but learning how to get back up smarter, 
quicker, faster, less bruised, you know, that's just part of the journey. Um, and so I think just a lot of times we miss out on really amazing opportunities to grow because we're so worried that something might not work out. Someone might think, what are they going to think about us? You know, um, what will it look like if I fail? How bad will it hurt? And so then we never push ourselves. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I think that that's something that I've talked about or in in some way, but the way that you phrased that was really elegant with saying that basically, uh, the fall itself, like the mistake itself, it's like the way that you frame that is basically like, that's almost the goal basically, because you're going to figure out whatever you need to figure out by either failing or winning. But it's like, if just like you said, if you're not failing, you're not doing, it's like, you can't even figure out what you need to do unless you're acting in some way like that. So that's a really elegant way to put that. Yeah. Thank you for saying I'm elegant. That's, you know, I think so. You know, that's good. At least it's coming out so people can understand what I'm trying to say. So that's, that's a win for today. Yeah. Nice. That's how I feel about it. Okay. So just to like finish up just some of your history here, because then you come back through that, you go into this mode, uh, this mode piece, which is not long after that, where you franchise it out. And then that's when you're getting into uh, wholesale distribution and all these other things. And I think that that's one of those things where it's like when people see you open that shop, there's a ton of people that open the retail shop. They don't go on to do those things. And people say like, how the hell do you learn all these things or whatever? And I'm sure that you were just like, this is what I want to do. And now you're figuring it out. Like, how did that transition go to that? And then I know even past that, we go into some other things like that, but I love watching kind of like the changes that, that happen. I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Yeah. Um, I think it's just seeing opportunity and just being willing to say yes. I mean, that's just my mindset. I'm just not really afraid of whether that's good or bad. I'm not really afraid of the pain of what won't work out. Like, I just don't think about that. I might think about, you know, it might cost me something. It might not work. I might have to quit or readjust, but I'm just not afraid of what that might feel like. Cause I don't, Mm. until we get to that bridge, like what's the point in making it up, (laughs) like what's going to happen. So I think I've just always been looking for opportunity. And so if an opportunity comes and I can try it and I think like it'll better my situation or it'll better the business that I'm doing, why not give it a try with, you know, wisdom and seeking counsel and using information and data and knowing your numbers. I mean, those things are important pieces to decision-making. So you're not just being dumb, you know, and, and just going by and doing whatever. Um, but just not being afraid that I have the information. I feel like this is the best decision. So let's just do it. And so that's just how I think the businesses have shifted. It's interesting to see entrepreneurs who go into business with their definition of their customer and what they want their business to look like and to watch when it's not working and just see Mm. them continuing to just shove forward. Like, but it has to work. Like this is my customer and this is what I want the store to look like, or this is what I imagine my business to look like. Yeah. If it's not working, you have to stop just trying to do the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And so I think that's where, um, you know, I just have, I don't, I don't want to say a gift, but just, uh, I don't know, an ability to say, this isn't working the way that I thought it would work. How could I tweak it? Where could I create a disruption? How could I just do things a little different? And then I'll just try it and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like, uh, this is awesome hearing this and this discussion, because I literally 
just finished watching the uh, the Tony Hawk documentary that just came out. And I remember there's this portion for anyone that's for anyone who wants to watch it is an ama- is amazingly good documentary. And honestly, it was like a lot about mindset, about growth. So it was, it was really good in a ton of different fronts, especially I'm just a, I love skating. I love uh, that whole, that whole scene anyway. But back to my point, there was this time where he was starting to do really well. And then one of his uh, kind of opponents in a lot of the competitions had like gone away and then like came back with this move that like no one had ever seen called the 540 at the time. Like no one could do it. And Tony Hawk was like, I'm going to lose every competition now until I get that move because like no one cared about anything else until it. And the reason he had such a challenge with it or, or basically he was able to get it, but like other people were lagging behind so much is because he specifically said that, you know, you were talking about like, I don't know if it's a bad thing or not, but like, I almost like just don't even think about the bad results and I just try it. You couldn't get the trick unless you got enough air up, but that's like terrifying because mm-hmm. it's like, you're going way higher at the time. Like people do now, but at the yeah. time people were doing tricks like right at the lip and stuff like that. And that it was really weird to take that much air to do something like that. But the, the way that the guy who invented it learned it, is he just went way up like six feet up, but that gives you the time to actually do the trick. And you have to just not he, the way that he ended up getting it before other people was basically is like, I literally didn't think about like what it was going to be like if I fell from that. Like I yeah. just didn't think about how badly that would hurt if that's what I did. But then I learned it and then I didn't fall like more than X amount of times because I learned it that way. Whereas people who are trying to learn it from like that shorter distance, that shorter fall, they were just getting destroyed because you just yeah. straight up can't do it unless you take that. So that's just a, a crossover that I, yeah, I saw so on what you said. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You just have to be willing to, and it's not that you don't, I mean, he knew if I, he knew intellectually, if I fall, it's going to hurt. If right. I fall, I could break something. He knew that intellectually, but being able to push aside the irrational fear or the unfounded fear or just the what if, So you think about it a little bit and you guard as much as you can against that, but then you have to be able to just lean into it and go for it and not overthink all of the what ifs because that'll just paralyze and keep you on the ground. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So I guess like I listened to like a, a piece from your website. There were like two things that I took notes on that, like just like a point that I really liked that you made on it. So this is kind of coming off of what we were just talking about right here. You made a point of like owning your wins and owning your failure, which I know that we, uh, you know, you can kind of hear that out there in like a rah, rah way, but like the way that you were saying it, I guess, in your speaking engagement, I liked the way that you were like trying to explain that to people. Uh, can you just like, uh, talk to that really quick, like owning your wins and owning your failures and yeah. What that yeah. Meant? I just really love encouraging entrepreneurs to think this way. So it's easy to own our wins. Then we think we're like all responsible for our wins. You know, we shout them from the rooftops, everyone should know. But when it comes to failure, we like to blame everything around us. So as a super practical example, let's say I have a brick and mortar store and nobody's coming into the store because there's like construction out front. And so instead of, well, what we would tend to do, or most people tend to do is say like, my sales are super slow because there's construction. Nobody can get to my store. And we just blame the entire failure of lack of sales on the construction instead of saying that's true that there's construction 
But it's also true that I have social media. I have a customer call list. I can set up a pop-up shop. I can go to people's homes. Like, and so the failure of like zero sales, I need to own that failure because I am a big portion of that. And we love to just blame our failure on everyone else and every other thing around us. And then only own the wins. Like I had an amazing sale this week. You know, everybody came in that's all me. But then when nobody comes, it's this, it's the weather, it's social media, it's the algorithm that drives me nuts right now. I understand that we can't control social media, but you can control a lot of things. So blaming your lack of sales on Facebook algorithm, like you're never going to change that. Right. That's Facebook's deal. Like we can't fix that anyway. So to just like not own that failure of your lack of sales at all and say that I'm playing a part in that because maybe I don't know who my customer is. Maybe my customer isn't on Facebook anymore. <laughs> you know, like being curious about our business will never get anywhere if we don't own part of our failure. So even low lows when we lose, you know, a business or we lose a lot, we have to see what part of that we need to own. Like we're never a hundred percent innocent of anything. We always play some part of the role in where we are in life. Sometimes it's much bigger than others, but we have to look and see like what part of that is me, because if we don't, we'll never fix it and we'll never move past it. Right. Yeah. And I think like as crappy as it feels when you acknowledge it, like when you're like, yeah, that like was my fault. Like really sucked that I had a bad month last month because I didn't do anything to change the ship. You know what I mean? I didn't do anything to steer any different. It feels shitty when you acknowledge it. You know what I mean? When you bring that, you're like, yes, it was me. But like, I feel like overarching on the macro, it feels really good because every day you wake up, you feel like you're in charge of your own life, regardless of what happens. Like when things go bad or when they go good, it's like, I'm making decisions myself and they have a direct impact on how my life's going and acknowledging even the failures of it it's still a really can be a really healthy thing. I can't speak for anyone, but everyone, but for me, it's been really healthy because I say, yeah, I did that thing. That was my fault. I got this from it, but that was the thing that I chose to do. No one made me do anything. You know, it it feels good when you're in control basically. And there's a lot of things out there that I feel like it's easy to get caught up in ways that we can say that we don't have control and that can be very overwhelming, but it feels nice where you're bringing that world back in as a business owner, as a creative to say like, yes, this bad thing happened, but I own what's going on. This is my life. This is my world. I'm doing this thing. And that's much different than saying, I'm so bad at business. I can't do this. I can't learn it. I'm not smart enough. That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm talking about saying, okay, this is the outcome I wanted. This is the outcome I got. Here's what's true. There's construction in the front. Nobody can park in front of my store. Right. That However, is a yes, and that's yeah. true. However, I am a smart business owner and I can be innovative and I can be creative and I can figure out what tools do I have in my tool chest. That's much different than just, you know, what was me? I'm just going to take all the blame and say everything's my fault. So it's, it's just a totally. mindset. Piece. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is there anything? So I guess like if someone's feeling that way and then we'll, we'll jump into some other things here, but. Uh, is there anything when you're speaking to uh, people in that headspace like that, or you're coaching someone who maybe doesn't recognize that maybe they're coming to you and they're saying, Sierra, there's construction on my, my retail space last month. Numbers were bad. You know, I hate this construction. Are there some like prompting questions or thoughts that you say to them to kind of try to pick apart, be like, how can we look at this 
differently to get them to kind of come to those yeah. realizations or I thoughts? I think the question I like to always ask is like, let's talk about what's true. Not what you feel or what you're observing or what you think, but like, let's talk about what's actually true. Let's talk about the facts and then just pointing them back to, okay, that's the facts. What tools do you have in your toolbox? It's just a good reminder for all entrepreneurs that we have lots of tools in our toolbox. We have contacts, we have knowledge from private prior experiences. You know, we have the ability to do different things. We have team members. There's lots of tools that we have. So what's actually true versus what you're assuming or what you're reading into a situation or whatever. And then what tools do you have that you do have control over and let's work with those to fix your problem. Awesome. So basically just letting them, letting them pick it apart themselves of like, just, yeah, basically getting the, it feels like peeling some of the emotion out of yes the facts really is what it comes down to. Right. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. So uh, another piece that I saw just in terms of the, uh, well, I guess we were talking a lot of mindset, which is awesome. But another thing that you mentioned is gratitude is an antidote for complacency. I feel like with this show being called the waking up from work, right? We have a lot of people that are feeling complacent or they're feeling like they're not where they want to be at, or they're not enjoying what they're at. Um, what do you mean by that? And, and I guess, how do you implement that as an antidote to complacency if people are feeling that way? Yeah, I mean, I think when we feel really complacent, it's because we just feel like we have to settle for where we are or we're really uninterested in where we are, the chapter that we're at in life. And when we start to look at what we could be grateful for, it suddenly opens up our minds to more opportunities, right? So when we get complacent, maybe you've built a business and it's going really well and it's making money and you're getting a paycheck and you're just like, I don't know, I just don't get jazzed up about it anymore. Starting to think about what you're grateful for. Is it the opportunity now to have freedom to go start something else? Is it, are you grateful for the opportunity? Like now you make enough of a salary, you can start to give back and you can get really excited about being involved in charities where you couldn't before without a profit. So I think once we can start to be grateful for wherever we're at, it just gives that, um, I don't know. It's just that antidote for that idea of boring quasi it is what it is. I just don't have a a passion or a purpose anymore. Yeah. So I personally write uh, things I'm grateful for when I wake up in the morning and speak for that reason, because many times uh, I feel that way. And uh, I think it is really helpful exercise because you just kind of like a check, like any of your things that are like, there's obviously a million different layers of, uh, of problems in the world. And there's many things that, uh, that many people don't have to face. That is pretty awesome to not face those when you wake up in the morning. So there's a million things to be grateful for, of course, but I think taking a step further with what you're saying, like being, uh, even like strategic with, with the gratuity, with the gratitude that you're talking about, where it's like, uh, maybe I'm complacent and I'm bored of this thing, but I'm grateful for the opportunity to do other things because I'm choosing now to change this or step aside from it or whatever. And, yeah. uh, having that to like, kind of just say like, once again, like owning the wins and losses, like we were talking about, you have the ability to change that complacency. Even if you're stuck with certain things that do have to happen at the moment, there are some things that you can't change immediately. They may be sluggish for some reason or another, but it's like, you can always make a decision of how you view the situation and 
make changes to move towards something else and be grateful for that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. Uh, one thing I want to talk about, because I know that I've mentioned score on here before, and I saw that you got this uh, like score small business champion. Uh, I don't know if it's a role or like an award or something like that. You might be able to tell me more about the specifics of that, but score is something that I, it's weird because I personally had a very bad experience with a score chapter or interaction myself, but I advocate for score on the whole all the time, which is kind of funny because I just have met enough people in the community who are either a score advisor or they've been advised by score. And it was a very net positive thing. So I've been able to get past the one thing that didn't work out well for me because I'm like, yes, this is definitely helping tons and tons of people out there. Um, And it's a great, great thing to have around. So can you just like, uh, you know, I I won't have you go into like, what is score? Because I have that, I can put it in the show notes and I talk about it right there that that helps small businesses, people, anyone that's doing a small business, anyone that is creating anything like that, you should check out your local chapter of score. It can be that simple, but uh, just in terms of advocating for that or like how you got into that, like small business champion piece specifically, is there anything that you can share on that to people out there that, uh, you know, I'm sure that you're seeing people constantly uh, coming through who are trying to do some of the same things. Are there any things that you're noticing or you're saying frequently uh, that you could uh, share with people who maybe they haven't approached a score person yet, but they're thinking about it or maybe they'll think about it now things that you're seeing from that position or uh, things that maybe put you in that, in that space to be like a champion in that role. Yeah. I think the thing with score, just like anything in small business, you have to be your own advocate. So, you know, there's multiple score mentors. They're all retired business owners or community leaders, you know, CEOs, things like that. Um, and so I've always just advocated to find someone that fit my needs So instead of walking into the score team where I'm going to open my business, you know, who can you connect me with? Like, I would like to open a retail business. Who's the best score mentor for retail? You know, I want a franchise. Who can you connect me with? Who's actually franchised? And that's what they specialize in. Right. Um, Or who's, you know, so I think just being an advocate is really important for yourself. Um, And just like anything, if you get connected in some way with someone, whether it's a vendor or, you know, a wholesaler or a score mentor, and it's not a fit, you don't need to stay. Like you can move exactly. on. You can ask for something different. So just being a good advocate. I mean, I have really great. Um, my score stories are all really good. I'm still actually. I was just emailing my score mentor last night. Not even from a mentorship role necessarily anymore. I mean, we're just friends now. Um, but I still had a business question. I'm like, he's way smarter than I am, so I'm going to ask him. So sure, you can really sure. build some strong relationships and get really good advice. That's really cool. Anything that you see, like as a mentor yourself, like down to the mentee that you see, like frequently being like a roadblock for them or like something that is difficult in their starting points. Is there any patterns that you see frequently? Well, I am not a score mentor yet. So I've been asked to do it, but at this point I'm still making an income. I said, I will definitely get back and I'll volunteer (laughs) at some point in my life, but right now I'm building a business. Um, but I think, you know, just same thing with coaching clients and stuff too, just teaching and training people to ask questions, to be curious. I know I've said that a million times today on the podcast, but just be really curious about your results. Be curious about who you are, what you need to learn. Be curious about why other people have been successful. Um, you know, when I talk about mentorship and finding a mentor, 
I like to talk about being a good mentee because we, we hear this buzz like, Oh, you need to have a mentor, but I like to coach people on like, how do you be a good mentee? When you Mm. have a mentor, how do you show up prepared? How do you show up humble and willing to learn, ask good questions, don't take advantage of that mentorship. Um, be there to like give into it as much as you can by being willing to listen and being humble. So that's, you know, those are my words of encouragement. If you're looking for a mentor, be a good mentee, be someone that people want to mentor, (laughs) you know? Yeah, that is extremely good advice because I think that a lot of people coming into uh, these things have a lot of audacity to do what they do. You know what I mean? It's, 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 something that you have to have some type of grit to, to go after these challenges. And I think that that can oftentimes make it very difficult to be probably a good mentee because they're, they, they had the, the grit to get where they were at or to uh, challenge things. And that they'll, what they're supposed to do is be curious and challenge, right? So it's sometimes can be really hard to take feedback when you put yourself yeah. where you're at, or you're, you uh, are being out there like that. It's hard to take feedback. That's uh, coming back down that way. But I think that that's also why it's like so important because like you were saying earlier, when you're talking about some of those problems that someone might have and they might put blame to it, it's like, doesn't matter how many self-help books or how many awesome people like you, I interview on here, I'll still do stuff like that. I'll be like good for so long and not, not be that way. And then I will blame something on someone and I'll, I'll catch myself or someone else will catch me. And it's like just having that outside feedback loop is important, but also like being able to take that feedback and like use that constructively is so important. And then just in terms of like the relationships where like, you're still speaking with this person, like all the time, uh, like showing up and putting effort into something that someone else is putting their time into is like so crucial with anything, like with any conversation, it's like, you can't like, you can't just like show up and be like, I need help with my business. And then like you have someone assigned to you and they're, they're spending their time. The reason why they're doing it is because they, they are getting continued fulfillment as well by like trying to help other people. And so it's like, if you show up and you're like, just fix this thing or like, help me do this thing. But then like, you're not acting on it. Then it's like, what, what are you doing then? Like it's, it's taking, taking time from other people too and other resources even. Yeah. 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 Uh, So 10 out of 10 recommend score from Sierra. For sure. Yes. Yeah. Heck yeah. This is uh, something that you brought up before the show. And I don't know how many guests uh, have done them. I think that we've had maybe one or something like that, but we were talking before the show about uh, you recently completing your first Ironman. Yes. And That's I'm signed up for my second. So a couple of months sick. away. Sick. Where was the first one? Um, Woodlands. So Houston, Texas. Okay. Any specific yeah. reason why there or just because? It was flat. So I'm um, coming okay. from North Dakota. All my training was flat. And so I really wanted to do a flat run and a flat bike. And it was flat. It was very hot though. <laughs> so it was very oh, hot, man. which I was not used to that hot and humid, but it was flat. So that was good. Right. Okay. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like I've spoken to other people on the show who are from color, uh, from Colorado is Steven and, uh, He's talking about people coming in who are, are musicians, but they have to train when you're being jumping around on stage and stuff like that for that, just like an athlete, you have to train for like that lack of oxygen. Same thing with this, where like you got Hills or, uh, I think that's why it makes like the Boston marathon, which is close to home here. Why that's such a difficult one is just because of the way that it's so, even as a city, it's so hilly and crazy, you know? So, yep. 
Gotta, That's awesome. Yeah, they're all so different, you know, and then open water too. I didn't want to swim in the ocean. So it was a lake swim. So just kind of awesome. watching that. Yeah. I feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll so what, the sharks, I think. <laughs> so, so I'll share this then. So I, I was telling you ahead of time that I, I want to do Ironman. That's on my, like for people who have seen my content where you see like this board of like random pictures and stuff. I have a vision board that I look at of like things that are like, I want to have happen uh, at some point. Right. And so an Ironman is on there yep. and I am so, so afraid of sharks because one time when I was like somewhat younger, I was swimming uh, at the beach and I was, I always had, I always liked going underwater as a kid. Like that was just kind of my thing. I was that weird kid that just stayed underwater all the time with the snorkel looking at stuff. A shark came like right up to my face and it did that thing oh. where it's trying to figure out what, what it is. And it did the yeah. thing where it came up to me face to face and then it like went to the right. That's like how they figure out what something is, is they like come up to it like that, but they're not, it wasn't trying to attack me. Yeah. That made me like very afraid of sharks for like oh, my life. Yeah. So recently we went to a, a trip uh, to Hawaii. I went out and I went uh, like shark diving in this cage with like literally a hundred sharks around me that the guy had just like put this mackerel blood in or something like that. And it was, and it's just a floating cage in the, in these waves. And I, it was wild because yeah. it was one of those things where I, I knew that I'd be doing that open water thing at some point. And there are lakes around here. But it's just one of those things that like, I just didn't want, if I was going to tackle an Ironman, which is like fearful for me anyway, which is like a thing that you have to get over. It's like all mental. I I, I imagine you'll tell me that was one of those things where I was like, why am I going to tackle this? If I'm also going to be afraid of sharks, like I might as well just like try to get past this stuff. So I did that in preparation of knowing that I'm going to probably have to do an open water in the ocean someday. No, I'm still, I'm still afraid of it still. even after. Although I, you know, they wouldn't have an Ironman where there's, I've never heard of an Ironman and there's been shark attacks. So, you know, (laughs) they wouldn't put a bunch of people in, but that's what you always think with, with the ocean. But I get it. I, I am always afraid of them, but I guess like, uh, like what went into your first Ironman? What was your, uh, what's your feedback on it? What do you have to report about it? And I guess like, what made you want to do it in the first place? Did you have any history of any of these like long, uh, endurance based mindset sports or what went into some of these things Sierra? Yeah. So I was always a 5k girl. I'd never done a marathon until my Ironman. Um, I never was interested in endurance at all. My, my husband did one and we have really good friends that have done and we watched and yeah, just going to the actual event and seeing how amazing the crowd is like people that do not know you and they just want you to succeed. That was just a really neat atmosphere mm. that I wanted to be part of on the athlete side. Um, and just seeing it, my husband can do it. I can do it. And I thought too, with coaching, it would be a really good opportunity for me to push myself into something I was very uncomfortable in, had no ability, no training in. Um, and just prove that you can do what you set your mind to. So those were kind of the reasons that I wanted to do it. I think reporting back, you know, just, it was a great experience, a lot of training. It is a lot of mental training. Um, you spend a lot of time by yourself, you know? So in the peak of my Ironman training last year is 20 hours a week of training Wow! by yourself. So you're sitting by yourself. I mean, you can listen to things, but it's you and yourself, you know, on the bike or running or whatever. And on the bike, it's a lot harder to listen anyway. 
And then out there that day, like you don't have anything with you other than your own mind telling you you're uncomfortable, you're hot, it hurts, you should quit. And it's so funny how crazy our mind can be. My husband was saying on his Iron Man, so he wanted to get the tattoo and he has a tattoo now. He completed his, um, he was literally like two or three miles from the very end. So having done this entire day, almost at the end and his mind was like, it doesn't really matter. Like you've done this, you know, look at, you've come this far. You don't really, the tattoo, like what, like you literally tell yourself these things. Like you should just quit. It's fine. Like, why does it even matter to finish? Like, yeah, it oh, says you know? it inside your head. Yes. Saying it. And so learning how to work through that, I think is just a really good life skill. Like how do you prepare yourself? How do you work on your mindset? Um, I have a half Ironman coming up on Sunday actually. And I know I'm going to have to do a lot of mind work because it's going to be really, really hot. I already know that. And so already thinking about that'll be fine for the swim. The bike will be fine, but the run, I'm going to be very uncomfortable. And so how am I going to talk to myself? (laughs) You know? Um, So I just, I find that part of the endurance sport really interesting to learn about the mindset. And then I really enjoyed learning about nutrition and how it works together as well. Um, That they say that's the fourth sport of an Ironman is nutrition and learning how to, to use it properly. So that was interesting too. I like learning things. Yeah. What were, do you have anything that you recommend for resources for how you learn the nutrition or did you hire like a coach for that? Yep. First thing I did when I signed up was I hired a coach. And the second thing I did was rearrange my schedule so I could commit to whatever my coach told me I needed to do. Um, and then I did hire a nutritionist too, cause I didn't do any athletics in school or anything. So I didn't yeah. know anything about nutrition. Um, and so she just helped me make sure that you, you have to eat a lot of calories. I mean, you can yeah. almost not eat enough when you're like in the peak of training. So just knowing like the right kind of calories and carbs and proteins and when, and all of that is really important too. Right. I know like when people, so I just did the, a marathon. I just did a marathon. So people who don't know what an Ironman is out there, I should have explained, but I know we've talked about it before, I think, but it is literally, I think it's like 2.8 or 2.4 miles of swimming, swimming a, yep. a full marathon and then a hundred miles of biking. Right. Yeah, and twelve. Okay. Yeah. So that's all of those things. And even like when I did my marathon, your body literally thinks that it's dying. Like it thinks you're in survival mode. It thinks that it's like, why in God's green earth are we running this much right now? You yeah. must be getting attacked by something and we're dying. And the organs, your organs literally change what they're doing. And also in terms of like caloric intake, like you're just burning everything. And so if you don't bring those calories back in, it will start eating itself. You start eating your muscle and you start eating your fat and stuff and not always in the, in a good way. And so it's, it's definitely, it's pretty crazy to, even when I was doing that, like the amount that I had to eat for just the marathon was like alarming to me. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, I can't even imagine for that, but uh, that's awesome. How long did your training take for that? Um, I did 16 weeks of training. So very short. (laughs) I did not, I didn't do a lot, but I'd already been training for 5k. So I was, I mean, it's completely different speed work and endurance work, but I was still fit and, you know, so I wasn't coming in having never, ever done anything at all. Um, I was coming in with a good pace, but 16 weeks. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. That's awesome. And I like that you're talking about the, uh, the voices in your head, because I feel like people out there who are have zero interest in any of this, any of this stuff that's relevant to, I think all of us. And I think that's what you're talking about in terms of like the mental portion where you're like, Hey, I'm a coach and this would be a great thing for me to have as like an explaining tool or just for like me to own myself and have myself is 
our mind is like, it's crazy. It's really crazy how powerful it is. And it's wild when you're in the middle of stuff like that. And in an actual, I'm sure we can all relate an actual voice like comes in and it's like, you should just quit right now. Like, there's no reason to do this. You're not going to impress anyone. Like it doesn't mean anything. It's not really like, and you're like, of course it means something. I've been trying to do this my whole life or something, you know, like if you're trying to do a business or you're trying to, you know, make your band do well, or you're trying to do whatever. It's like when you have those empty gigs or you have a business fail, or you have uh, like these things go wrong with the things that you've wanted your whole life ever. Those voices, the same ones at the end, the two mile mark at the end of that, that start showing up, those same voices show up there too. They're just a, they're just a different thing that's going on. Yeah. And it's just a decision of like, what am I going to let happen or not? And like, how do you communicate with those voices? And for me, that like silenceness alone by myself being way far away from home or my starting point or whatever, that's like a lot, that training was very helpful for me to work on how I talk to those voices. And like, I think not in the maybe talk to them because it's such like a frantic, like attack on you. It's like when they come in, they're like, stop doing this thing. Like you shouldn't do this thing. I don't want you to do it. And it's like an attack. It's like the awareness. You can't necessarily like, at least for me, I can't necessarily like say something back to it, but like being aware of like, why is this coming right now? Why is this here? And like, what is it trying to get me to do? And why, and, and how do I react to it? Whereas like, if you aren't, if you're not able to build that like awareness, when those voices show up, it really is coaching you and you really don't want to do the thing. They suck. Mm -hmm. The things that are happening really suck. So you don't want to do it anyway. So yeah. Um, yeah. Learning yeah, to coach yourself. Super important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thanks. Cool. And now you're going to do another one. Yep. Got to beat my time. So. Oh, man. Goal. Man. So before I'll, I'll jump off this topic for people who are like snoozing right now where they're straight up not uh, <laughs> not in done on uh, that front of it. But I guess what would you recommend to someone? You went from like 5K to that in like 16 weeks. Uh, like what would you, anything that you, words of advice or from your first one that you'd be like, Hey, this would be better for my next one. Um, yeah, I think just listening to your hiring a coach, listening to your coach, committing to the process that they have really important. Um, I can't stress that enough, like get a good team surrounding you and then good equipment. Like don't run in old shoes, get stuff that fits, you know, and I always bring that back into business too like hire help, surround yourself with a good team and set yourself up for success. Cause it's going to be hard enough anyway. So don't try to half do it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's obviously it's one of those things where it's like very dramatic. So like that on your body, like you really do need to have that equipment yeah. too. But like in the business world, I like that, uh, having the right things, working on those things. Like if you're trying to have success in a big way, then you do have to invest in it. You do have to get yeah. the right things. And we all, have to use the use thing or the whatever thing, like while you have to use it, but whenever you have the opportunity to put the right things in place to do the best things, you should do it. So yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, before I hit you with my ending questions here, Sierra, I do want to ask you about, I saw that you are certified in profit first. And uh, I've, I've heard a little bit about that principle. I haven't read that, uh, the book that I know that a lot of uh, people who have read uh, come from that principle. But I guess, can you talk on that concept really quickly? Like, 
yeah. uh, for business owners. What does that mean to profit first? Because I don't think that we've covered that on the show before, but I think it's a great um, principle. Yeah. So Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, likes to say that his goal is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And so it's just this thought of managing our cash well and taking our profit first. So instead of bringing in all the sales and paying everyone else, our vendors, our suppliers, our employees, our rent, everything else. And we maybe get to scrape the bottom of the barrel at the end, but most often we don't even get a penny there. Um, Instead we flip that and we bring the sales in and we take profit for ourselves as owners. We save for taxes, save for a rainy day, and then we use the balance for our expenses. And it just teaches you to budget and really think wisely about what you're spending um, and to pay yourself, reward yourself for all the work that you've done as an entrepreneur. So it's just a cash management system. Um, there's a couple podcasts um, that the Profit First team puts out. Um, I work specifically with Profit First for retail. So just, you know, what do you do with the inventory and how do you manage that? But it's really made a big impact in a lot of my clients' lives. Yeah, I, I could see that. Like, I think that, uh, many people out there could probably relate that, you know, when you're trying to build these things, it's like, there's never actually enough money. You know what I mean? It's like, it's in, it, not saying that in like a very scarcity driven way, but just like, you'll always find a way to invest more money to keep making things bigger. It's an, inde- it's an indefinite growth of whatever yeah. you're trying to work on. There's always a better tool. There's always a better thing to do. And if you, I feel like if you don't think this way or you don't work this way, which I, I haven't gone through this book or process myself. So I bet you I, there's probably opportunity there that way, but you can always probably find that, uh, to go somewhere else really easily. And then, um, almost burn yourself yeah. with, uh, some of the process of just being like, why am I always stressed and like on the run like this when you maybe don't have to at all? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Find? Yeah, just it's just a a way to manage that cash. You really tell your numbers where to go. You tell your money where to go instead of having it the other way around where it's telling you what to do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. And then real quick before we hit these questions here, Syria, I would I would be amiss uh because I've have don't always have someone with your specific strong uh strengths on the show to talk to this. For people out there, because we have such a mixed crew, I know that there are people that are uh like opening retail or maybe they're focused on selling their things in pop-up events or selling physical products. And that is your bread and butter. Do you have any advice for someone who maybe they are trying to open a retail store or they're trying to do selling a physical product? Is there anything that you've gathered over the time that you'd recommend for them? I know that that's kind of a loaded, large question because it's an indefinite amount of things that you could learn in your space, but... Yeah, I think just learning your numbers, understanding your inventory and your margin, making sure that you're controlling your inventory and you understand how it plays a role in your profit, what, you know, how much inventory you own, how much inventory you should own or buy. Those are all things that I work on over in the boutique workshop. So if you're inventory based, like come over, we have, I have a couple of free podcast, uh, free masterclasses, not podcasts. I have a free podcast too, but, um, Profit First for Retail Masterclass is free and the Inventory Genius Masterclass. Those are both free that you can just take on your own time. And they really walk through how to manage inventory properly. Because if you find yourself constantly cash poor, chances are you're not managing your inventory right. That's the first place we always look. Okay, cool. So if you're, if you're having a hard time with cash flow in the industry, most of the time is, is 
a jam up of what needs to bring the money in and what you have sitting around and basically dead money or not moving money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not marking it up properly, not buying enough, buying too much, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's cool. And then that's such a complicated thing. I, I would imagine. It is. Inventory. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Not I, too fun, but we can time. figure it out. We make it, we simplify it down and make it easy to manage. I have easier. A, I, I was proud when I, when I came up, I, like Wix has like this way where you can sell for my band. I was proud to like make it so that I had a way to like even track my inventory as just a band dude, instead of just like pulling stuff out of the trunk at shows. Yep. So I'm sure that you go quite a bit down <laughs> further yeah. past that skill set. So yeah, that's little pretty bit. awesome. So yeah. people trying to do that, definitely hit up Sierra. I'll have uh, links in the show notes so you can check out those programs that she has. Perfect. Cool. Are you ready? Are you cool? Do you have the time for me to hit you with my last questions here? Go for it. Okay, cool. This is the same questions that I hit everyone with. Uh, First one is just, why do you wake up and do what you do every day versus any other thing that you could do? I really think I'm called to do what I'm doing. I think as I look back over my journey in entrepreneurship and I can see all the pieces that God put together in the right order. I didn't always understand why I was doing what I was doing or why I was going through, but I can see now that I was brought to this place to help retailers, to help inventory-based businesses. It's really hard being a small business owner. And I've been there and done that in almost every aspect. And so just having the empathy and the background Um, I just feel called to it. And so that's why I get up and do this instead of something else. Fair. That's awesome. What would along the way, like say, you know, maybe it's not a mistake because you learned a lesson from it, you know, like we were talking about earlier, but like, what's something that maybe your biggest mistake, but I won't call it that biggest thing that you would say, you know, five years ago, me, 10 years ago, me, Hey, don't do this thing. I don't recommend that. Um, not holding people accountable and being too much of a people pleaser, wanting happiness, easiness, peace in lieu of holding people accountable for what they committed to. Um, in the end, if you don't hold people accountable, you know, on your team or partners or people you have agreements with, you're not going to please them anyway. And so I did a lot of that trying to make everybody happy. And in the end, I was the one who lost out. So I would do that differently now. I'm much more confident than I used to be. Yeah. Wow. Flip side, best idea that you've had, or you're like, Hey, five years ago, you 10 years ago, you, you should have, you should do this. Ooh, best, best idea. idea. Um, Best idea. I don't know if this is the best idea, if it qualifies as this, but I think just being comfortable with who I am and what my strengths are and leaning into those as a business owner. Mm. Once I learned to do that, I would say that's the best idea I've had. Like not trying to be what everyone else is or how everyone else would function, but just saying like, here's what I'm really good at. Here's what I'm not good at. So I'm going to do more of what I am good at and stop trying to make myself into something that I'm not. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. I think many people have people that they look up to in their industry specifically and uh, emulate some of their things that they do and which is probably a great thing to learn and things like that. But at the end of the day, there can't be another one of them and there can't be another one of you. And so highlighting things that are definitely different between you and that person and leaning into them uh, isn't always an obvious thing to do, but it's like completely necessary for you to find any type of balance and, and strength in 
yourself as a business owner, because you have to know those things that you're really good at. There's tons of people that are not good at that thing. And you're yeah. really good at that thing. And you should totally do that thing yeah. right? really well. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. That's cool. Well, this might even be the answer to this next question, but I like asking this anyway. If people said like, uh, there was a superpower that Sierra had, what would that superpower be? Not like a, a Marvel character type of deal, but like in real life, like what is the, the Sierra Stockland superpower? Um, I break things down and make them very simple. I'm really good at simplifying information and delivering it in a way that people can understand and they can relate to. That is so valuable. Because It is when you're a coach. (laughs) (laughs) It's very valuable. Yeah. It's the reason to hire a a good coach is to have that clarity because our, our minds like to do the crazy voices that we talked about. And so it's nice to have that. Yeah. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Where, uh, what would be like, I know we just recommended some resources for people specific to the boutique space. And and we talked about, uh, profit first, that book. Is there any other resources that you'd recommend? It could be podcasts, YouTube books, like anything like that. And could be specific to the spaces that we talked about or just anything in general. Yeah. Um, I love the book Atomic Habits. That's really good. I've read it a few times. Um, it's really important as entrepreneurs to manage our time well. So putting yourself on a time budget, um, not just a money budget, um, and getting yourself out of hot mess mode, I like to say. Um, so <laughs> Atomic Habits is good because it really talks about how to you know really break down your day. Compound Effect is another really good one that we just went through as a group one of my groups and I. Um, so those would be good, two good resources. Um, if you're inventory-based or product-based business, my podcast, the Boutique Workshop Podcast is good. It's like 15, 20 minute, um, just morsels broken down. You can take and implement right away. So that would be another good resource if you like listening. Cool. Very cool. Awesome. So for people who are out there, uh, maybe you're training for an Ironman, I will have the links down below in the show notes so you can click on them so you don't have to try to write it or do anything crazy. Uh, last would just be like, where do people keep up with you? You know, once again, we'll have them in the show notes, but sometimes it's nice to have it shouted out on here. People are listening along. They can just hear it up, do it. Yeah. Um, on Instagram, C Stockland is a good place to hang out with me. You can see my Ironman adventures, my business stuff, all that. Um, or my website, sierrastockland.com has blogs. It has podcasts I've been on lots of good resources, the community you can come hang out with. So um, that would be a good website resource too. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for people who are hanging out live for this podcast. Thank you for hanging out and taking your time tonight. If you miss some of this and you want to catch the whole podcast, this will be out uh, next week on Tuesday at 6am as a podcast on all platforms. You can hear the whole conversation. Um, and Sierra, thank you for taking your time after your move and and all the different stuff that you're up to, to uh, be on the show and share this stuff, different angle from a lot of the other people that we've had on the show before. So. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your time and thanks for watching everyone. Yeah. Yeah.